everyone and welcome back to another episode of the books to gays today we are freaking out because we get to interview emily danforth that's <laughs> right you heard us correctly the emily danforth award-winning author queer queen of sapphic literature danforth wowed the literary world with her debut novel the miseducation of cameron post that also became a movie we coincidentally discussed that book on our friend Caitlin's podcast between the pages which we will link in the description and finally our queen Danforth is back with another super gay novel that officially came out yesterday October 20th this one is different from Cameron Post but equally as amazing and queer in its own right think epic sapphic gothic gothic novel think spooky and creepy and queer as hell Think multiple timelines, a mystery, and women loving women all throughout history. This is a 600-page book that we flew through and wish we could delete from our brains so we could read it over and over and over again. It is a story within a story within a story, and every timeline and character is incredible. You will absolutely close the book and want more and more and more. Here is a brief synopsis of the book that we want to say ahead of time so we can spend the the entirety of our interview asking Danforth, all of our burning questions and gay screaming over the entire book. We will try our hardest to avoid spoilers, but you all better buy this book if you haven't already. So our story begins in 1902 at the Brook Haunt School for Girls. Flo and Clara, two impressionable students, are obsessed with each other and with a daring young writer named Mary McLean, the author of a scandalous best-selling memoir. To show their devotion to Mary, the girls establish their own private club and call it the Plain Bad Heroine Society. They meet in secret in a nearby apple orchard, the setting of their wildest happiness, and ultimately of their macabre deaths. I almost always say that word wrong. This is where their bodies are later discovered with a copy of Mary's book splayed beside them, the victims of swarms of stinging, angry yellow jackets. Less than five years later, the Brookhaunt School for Girls closes its doors forever, but not before three more people mysteriously die on the property, each in a most troubling way. Over a century later, the now abandoned and crumbling Brook Haunts is back in the news when wonderkind writer Mary Emmons publishes a breakout book celebrating the queer feminist history surrounding the haunted and cursed Gilded Age institution. Her best-selling book inspires a controversial horror film adaptation starring celebrity actor and lesbian it girl Harper Harper playing the ill-fated heroine Flo. Opposite B-list actress and former child star Audrey Wells as Clara. But as Brooke Haunts opens its gates once again and our three modern heroines arrive on set to begin filming, past and present become grimly entangled or perhaps just grimly exploited. And soon it's impossible to tell where the curse leaves off and Hollywood begins. So now let's get into the episode with Danforth and be ready for some serious fangirling. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Books to Gays. I'm Alex, and my pronouns are she, her. And I am Sam, and my pronouns are she, her. And, oh my gosh, I don't have it up like I should, so that's my I can introduce Emily. We have Emily (laughs) Um, Danforth here with us. She's the author of Miseducation of Cameron Post, and now, as of when this episode airs, Plain Bad Heroines. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. We 
we, while we, okay, see, I'm telling you, like, I was telling Sam how nervous I was because I read Cameron Post at the, it was one of the first, like, queer female books I read when I was on my own coming out journey. And then, of course, I watched the movie and I knew this was coming out. So I'm like, I'm interviewing, like, a my queer uh, literary icon here. And I don't know how to handle myself. That's very um, kind. Too kind. <laughs> listen, we, so I will take the fall here. And I just read The Miseducation of Cameron Post. We read it for another podcast because we did a, like, book talk with them about it. Okay. Oh my gosh, ripped me a new one. And then I was like a little scared to pick up plain bed heroines. And Alex is like, no. Different no, no, vibe. No. Different vibe. Different vibe. Oh Equally great, just different. Very different. Yeah. This is my face right now. Yeah. Like I just finished it like 20 minutes ago. And I was like, Alex, I need to talk about it. But I don't want to talk about it yet because I want to talk about it on the podcast. We're expecting a lot of jealousy too. We're in a few bookstagram chats with uh, like, literally called plain bad heroines because everyone's reading it and oh awesome <laughs> i we did not tell them that we were getting to talk to you because i oh, want them no. to i want them to know after and i can like hold it over their head like guys alex i did it. i know i'm not a nice person that is a, that is a plain bad heroine move if ever there was thank one. you yeah. so much i just want to belong in this book so i'm practicing now wonderful wonderful well first of all congrats now on your book release so this will go up the day after but do you have any plans to celebrate your release uh, you know i'm gonna do some um things that my mom my mother uh mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to do kind of like a small celebration. I had a big plan um, to do a big party. Mm -hmm. When the camp came out, I was teaching and I just, it, it just didn't work. I, mm -hmm. there was a, it was an event, but it was sort of a speaking event and it didn't happen. So I was going to do a big party pre-COVID. And obviously I'm not doing that now. And some people have been like, oh, you should do like a virtual one or whatever. And I'm like, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'll wait. And so maybe I'll do something like when the, when the, um, the paperback comes out or something, but I'm getting to do a lot of podcasts and I love podcasts. Yeah. So it feels oh, yeah. Like, you know, just like this feels like, like the celebration to me. I mean, I love, I obsessively listen to podcasts. So I'm so thrilled to be on yours. Oh, that's really awesome. We're excited yeah. too. Um, yeah, and we're going to have to pick your brain on your favorite podcast because like, okay, we sure. love some good podcasts. Okay, good. Good, good. Yeah, give me some Rex too, please. Okay, so there are several different heroines and characters, all of whom are a favorite of ours. But can you give us a little description of the three present-day timeline heroines and the two historical heroines from sure. the past timeline that are involved in Brooklands? Absolutely. So uh, the, there are three women involved in the making of the, the contemporary horror film, um, uh, the controversial queer horror film. And one of them is the, the one-time kind of uh, prodigy writer who is rapidly aging out of that title, uh, Merit. I love the um, love of my life. <laughs> who is prickly. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so Merit is the writer and she gets asked to consult on this movie and she has some thoughts about that. Um, uh, one of the other point of view characters uh, in the contemporary section is Audrey. Um, and Audrey is kind of a, you know, slasher um, horror movie lineage, essentially. Her mother was an 80s screen queen star. Um, and she herself had some teen fame, but has has um, has been having a hard time landing roles recently. Mm -hmm. And so this is a big deal for her to get to be part of this this movie. Although, so she has, she has some questions about why they would choose her. She's not real sure. 
Uh, and then there's Harper Harper, who is a Celesbian. Um, and she was an indie film darling, uh, an influencer, a real rising talent, um, and is just kind of trying to hang on for the ride. Um, but but certainly a talented a talented actor. Those are the three contemporary characters, and and we do hop into their heads. And then at, at Brookhaunt, the characters we spend most time with are the women that run the boarding school in 1902, and that would be Libby Packard Brookhaunt. Um, who essentially married into this role of running the boarding school. And she met her, it's essentially her wife, Alex, uh, when they were college students together at Wellesley. Um, and they had kind of a meet cute romance and, um, and now they are running a, a boarding school where not good things are happening. So um, they're not, they're put in difficult positions. Yes. Yeah, this definitely made so many of us want to go redo our lives and go to some like, queer female <laughs> boarding like school i miss that i feel sad now yeah um yeah. I, I won't even lie like we kept talking about it and i was like yo i would go back to college for that shit right here <laughs> like thank you Colin do it again Gary. yeah do it again redo yeah I, I mean if you could go back in 1902 i guess maybe right like i think i've um i've I've romanticized boarding schools, but you probably do too. I, I mean, I know people that have gone in and clearly that it did not have the experience in the, in the novel. Um, nor nor do I think I would want the. Experience. <laughs> it is a little a little right. creepy. Yeah, it's a it's a little creepy. But yes, there are plenty th of things to romanticize about about Brookhaunt. So. Um, P.S. I used to work at a boarding school. Did you really? <laughs> I used to work at EF Academy. Okay. Yo, it's not like that. Not like that at all. <laughs> Basically, you're just like a little Libby over there. Yeah. <laughs> she wishes. <laughs> I know. I love it. Um, so Harper Harper is a lesbian, and I feel like um, our queer listeners will know the term lesbian, but not a lot of people will. Oh, really? But okay. I mean, I assume that maybe some straight people don't understand what a lesbian is, <laughs> but and I always joke that Sam is um, our bookstagram lesbian because she everyone reads the book she tells them to read, and I'm okay. always in awe of it. So we just wanted to find out if you have any favorite real life lesbians that you either just love or maybe oh, got inspiration sure. from. Um, well, uh, there are many. I mean, there have been many throughout time. Sarah Paulson is one, no question. I'm a <laughs> yes. fan of Sarah Paulson. Who isn't? Um, so yeah, I, oh gosh, I, um, like, I feel like I'm on the spot now. Um, I don't, like, <laughs> they I don't all want, disappear. I, I don't want to leave anybody out. So like, she, she certainly comes to mind, but I feel like throughout, and, and some of mine are like, kind of like still lesbians in, in name, right? Which is that sort of tricky space where like, they may not own that title, but certainly like fandoms or communities own yeah. that title. So I'm thinking like, you know, there are like some classic long deceased film stars that I would put on that list, um, mm -hmm. like a Tallulah Bankhead, who I'm obsessed with, right? Mm -hmm. um, who who was not around when we were talking about lesbians, right? Yeah. yeah, she would be one of mine. I'm curious, like, who yours are? Like, that's what I want to know. You know what? I don't know, but now that you said Sarah Paulson, I'm on board, and I feel like <laughs> if we're lucky enough that this is made into some type of like show or movie that would i would dream cast her into this yeah. i wouldn't want her to be libby like i would want her to be libby yeah i want her um, to be every character so i don't really <laughs> she just play them all one woman yeah. show of Sarah yeah it, it'll work <laughs> you could do it she could pull it off they yeah, did yeah. that with Lindsay lowen in the parent trap so i think they could do it in 2020. fair point, fair point. Yes. And, you know you know i don't know i would say ellen page is probably my favorite sure like anything ellen page is in i'm like yes please fair yes point. 
So. My heart did break when she got married, but it's fine. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it is always hard when they, when they go and get married on you. <laughs> you know, you know. Okay, so now Claimant Heroines has many different timelines and is a story within a story within a story within a movie and so many other amazing elements. How did you decide to have so many timelines and elements? I wish it was, I had a streamlined kind of neat answer for you, but the fact of the matter is I got, I got like 300 pages into a version of this novel that was just telling the contemporary story. It was really just telling the making of the movie story. Um, and I got pretty stuck. Uh, yeah. Actually, actually that, version, that version of the book was called Celesbian, interestingly enough. So maybe it would have confused readers. They would have been like, I don't, I don't know. I can't buy this. I don't know that <laughs> word. Um, I don't know that word. <laughs> I don't know that word. Um, and so, yeah, so I, um, I, got, I got a ways into that. And then um, I was still trying to answer for myself the question of like, what was the lore of the, of the cursed boarding school? I knew I had this cool location and I was doing some other, other things with it, but I just didn't really know the backstory. And then I did all this research into turn of the century women's colleges and boarding schools mm -hmm. and romantic friendships. And I got more and more enamored with that research. And I kept trying to shove it in the novel in ways that it did not work. So I had like, <laughs> diary entries and I had letters and it just didn't work until I finally said, you need to actually write these characters from the past as characters and you need mm. to give them scenes. And it was a real re-envisioning of the novel. Um, and then I got stuck basically and because I kind of didn't know if I could write that novel. You know, you, you, you alluded to it's, it's a, there are a number of things going on and I kind of thought, I'm not sure I know how to do this. Um, and felt pretty frozen and I just sort of stopped work for a while until I eventually talked myself into like you have to write this book it's the book yeah. you want to write it's the book you want to read and got myself kind of back into it but yeah there were I mean when I make this sound kind of like a neat process but they were kind of like years going on in yeah figuring out how to do this yeah yeah I mean it ended up working really well so dear god did it dear god <laughs> did it. good good and then so you have a bunch of literature tropes that you use in the book to help elevate it to what it is now. So we know it's spooky and mysterious, but obviously there are other specific tropes. So are any of them favorites of yours that you knew you had to include? That I had to include. Yeah, I knew that I wanted some of the play. Um, it's gothic play. You can also find it in, in the earliest sort of versions of Carmilla. I knew I wanted to do something with um, an anagram name that would come into play at some point. I knew I wanted to do something with um, a lot of mirroring, right? Lots of Gothic novels have mirroring. And so the way that this novel does it is not just in the Gothic storyline, but there are all kinds of points of mirroring between the contemporary storyline and the historic storyline. And so sometimes it's really obvious. It's a line of dialogue and you'll be like, the exact line of dialogue appeared in the right. section, right? Um, but sometimes I hope it's a bit more subtle where I felt like mm, these scenes mirror each other but that may not be like immediately, right? Like apparent to, to readers. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of kind of, I, I, maybe the term would be Easter eggs. There's a lot of things I'm playing with yeah. that where I feel like if you go back to the novel and read it again or spend some time in that world, some of that will open up for you. So yeah, I played a lot with mirroring and had fun. Um, I wanted a creepy bathtub scene, had to have it, knew I was, that's, a, that's not just a gothic trope, that's a horror trope, right? That I knew. That was I very creepy. Bad things happening to women in bathrooms is like a thing, right? And I'm like, okay, the Victorians were obsessed with their bathtubs. If they could afford one, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna do that. So we're gonna have a, yeah, bathtub scene. So. All I could think was the process of taking a bath every night is so extensive that like, I don't know that I'd be that dedicated now. So back then, probably I'd just be dirty. Like, 
you, but at least, I mean, at least like now that, you know, like it was still fairly new concept that you would have this whole elaborate bathroom to begin yeah. with. Right. So it's like, well, at least that, right. Like, like let me luxuriate. In right. It, you know? And people are drawing them a bath. Like it's a whole yeah, other a person there. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone's drawing me a bath, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> it's a different okay, it depends too, though. I don't know that I'd want some like random stranger drawing me. Yeah. Coming in. Yeah. You know, you know. Not as okay. So how did you manage to fit every freaking lesbian trope in and which of those are your favorite? I have to talk to you though. And I have to tell you. So when I was reading it, I'm like gay screaming to my groups and they're reading it as well. And I'm like, every trope is in here. She, did. she texted me that happening? too. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just, it's there and it works and I don't know how and it happens. works. There's a, I mean, you know, you've read the book. There's a lot of winking going on in the narrative. There's a lot. There's a lot of winking. And so I think, again, there are definitely readers that are going to appreciate and pick up on some of that. And there, and there are readers that's going to go, they're not going to recognize those tropes, right? And, and that's part of the pleasure for me is like that, that like, you, if you if you know, you know. So the winking is there. And if you're, that if you're, part. you're yeah, I mean, I think like the love triangles, of course, like that. I mean, that's that's always one of my favorites. And I know that, of course, like fans can get really t tired of that and readers can get tired of that. But I hadn't done a book that had done that specifically. And I wanted to look at it. Um, that was a thing I was thinking about. I mean, I, I guess like all of these questions, it's interesting for me to answer them, but I just like want to throw them back at you and be like, well, what lesbian trope were you excited to see in the book, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If you were gay screaming, what were you gay screaming at? Like what was, <laughs> um, I actually was talking to our group and I was like, oh my gosh, she wrote a like, because Alex the Flirt. I was yeah. like, Alex the Flirt in 1902. Like, I know that girl now. <laughs> and like, she's, she like plays sports and she's like yeah. a flirt. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then I loved Libby. I loved mm. Libby so much. Libby was probably my favorite character. I just feel like you wrote a lot of depth in her, but also like I saw so much of myself in Libby oh. a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Um, Cause like she didn't ask for it, she just kind of got like screwed over, like I'm, you know, a yeah. little bit. And <laughs> she was um, caught in the crosshairs. She there. faces some she tough was. circumstances in the novel. Yeah, she does. She does. She's a. I mean, that's an, another sort of gothic trope, right? Like she, right. A, la a lack of um, choices, right? That she's yes. like forced into a corner with with some of the decisions she makes. Alex was really fun for me because I again in doing some of that research. And I, and I mean, I knew something about kind of this era, but I, I you know, I came across, you know, you know, like, like, like yearbooks that would have these all, you know, all girl dances and girls kind of asking girls, you know, these lovely kind of love sonnets. Um, and, a, and a character that was described, she wasn't Alex, she wasn't Alexander, but I, I, I'm sorry that I can't remember, I shouldn't say character, it was a woman who was described on her campus as the flirt. Like that was the name that like that boarding school gave to this student. And I just, you know, it really fit. And I guess like for me, what I like about Alex is that um, she owns it. She comes into it, mm -hmm. but she doesn't bestow it upon herself. Like it's yeah. sort of given to her. And then she's like, well, okay, like I, I'll lean into this a little bit. Like if the yeah. other, the, my classmates feel this way about me, but she doesn't, 
she's not that savvy about her appeal. She just, mm-hmm. you know, leans into it. So I think like that's, that, that's interesting to me. Like I've known some of those people too. And, and yeah. yeah, she has an authentic confidence. I yeah. did have to, I did have to pre pre-warn Sam. Cause I was like, listen, there is a part of this book that is really gay <laughs> with some of our current day heroines. <laughs> And I like waited really patiently for her to get to that part. And then she did and sent like just this all caps scream to our group chat. And I'm like, yeah, I know where you are in the book. <laughs> it is, it's late. It comes late in the book for sure. Yes. It, it I mean, like, I was here for it. I am not sad. I am not sad that I didn't, that I got to it, you know? Everybody had there, to get to the orchard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there was like a hint of it possibly happening. And then I was like, oh, darn it, didn't. And then it, then it. That part. Happen. All right. It was worth the wait here. It's like a um, subtle slow burn. I think when I got to that, I think I texted you and I was like, okay, that was not what I expected. And you were like, keep going, keep yeah. going. And I was like, okay. Hold tight there. Um, okay. So we also discovered that Mary McLean is real, which we didn't know yes. before reading the book. Um, can you tell us more about Mary McLean and why you chose her, her book and her life to drive the underlying spookiness and plot? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason I chose her is because people don't know, and that um, saddens me. I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of the story of Mary McLean, which, of course, she wanted published as a way the devil's coming. And I and 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 I don't want to act like there there have been scholars and feminist scholars that have reclaimed her, but she still is, I think, kind of criminally un, underknown. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you consider what a big deal she was, right? right. 80,000 copies of her book in the first month. It went yeah. on sale. Those are, not, those are not numbers we see now. Like, it, you know, really was such a sensation. Um, and beyond that, I, I just think that that, that that I think all of her memoirs, but particularly the first, is still really holds up as funny and evocative and surprising. And, um, you know, sometimes I think like her self-confidence can kind of brush people the wrong way, but I find it really charming. And she right. really struggles for language to describe this range of emotion she's feeling in a way that feels like it completely could be somebody's blog today. I mean, it really does. It's mm-hmm. sort of strikingly, um, these are thoughts I had, right, a hundred years later. And so, you know, when I was a teenager and so, um, and going into my twenties. So I, that was part of it. I just really thinking about like wanting to kind of reclaim this text that so many people don't know and hoping that it, it, it would turn them on to that. But also because she was such a sensation, there were, um, I should say just you know, for, for listeners that don't know. So she's, uh, she wrote this book at the age of 19. It's published, she's, she's you know, unknown, um, young woman living in Butte, Montana, this mining town, writes this very, very sort of evocative and raw and exposed memoir, gets it published and becomes really the definition of an overnight sensation. And what's so interesting in the book is she, in, in her memoir, she wants this to happen. She's essentially mm-hmm. this kind of like, make this happen for me and the exact thing happens. And so her story is almost kind of too good not to write about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, right. It is. Um, which is why you're not the, f- the first folks I've talked to that have been like, I thought you made her up. And somebody, somebody told me even that they looked, like they saw, found her Wikipedia and they were like, I don't know, the book is so meta. I thought maybe you invented Maybe you made <laughs> Like, no, Mary McLean is real, right? I um, that. I was like, Damn. That was very, that would have been really Blair Witch Project of you. Very Blair Witch Project. They'd done that much manipulation. No, she was completely real. And there were groups of teen girls around the country that had fan clubs in her honor. I didn't, you know, obviously the one taking place at Burkhans is very specific, but I didn't make that up. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was a young woman arrested in Chicago for stealing a horse. And when she was brought before the judge 
And he said, why did you steal this horse? She said, well, I needed something to write about like Mary McLean, my hero. Um, um, so really there were these sort of like groups of devotees that found her book and were like, she's saying the things I think that I, I can't say myself. Um, and I, and that too just w worked really well with the other stuff I was doing in the book. So yeah, I'm thrilled. I mean, if you haven't read it, you can find it. And I think it's like a really, it's a really charming and surprising read. Yeah. I'm shocked we haven't. Cause I feel like now a lot of people are doing research and trying to show that there were queer literary icons yeah. in the past and yeah. i just read the autobiography of carson mccullough of I, course yeah yeah and i had no idea of that either and so now yeah. i keep looking and everyone's like oh yeah this person this person was queer and this person was queer and i'm like i didn't know about this person at all where yeah. is she <laughs> yeah erased or subdued or yeah lost in history. yeah, yeah. we've been here we've always been here yeah and i feel like people will always find <laughs> the queer literature to read no matter what even yes. if they have to to hide it in their boarding schools. That's <laughs> you know. Okay, so what is your hope for readers who pick up your books and read? Not only to just enjoy these amazing plots and themes, but to take away from the message and characters. Um, I hope that readers, um, some at least some readers, get to see parts of themselves, right? That maybe they haven't right. seen reflected in books. And and also, I think with some of the genre elements in this book maybe you haven't seen these parts of yourself in a genre book that's doing these other right. things. So that's always important to me if people find themselves or find versions of their friends or what I always say mm -hmm. is like versions of myself that I didn't even yet know I might want to be, right? Or that might be part of myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that thing we were just talking about, like especially with this book, that reclamation of history to say, you know, um, that these that these characters that you might have found in other novels um, being coded, or we'd read between the lines, and we could queer the text, and we could say, well, what, you know, what they meant with these two women living alone in this house while they called it this, we can say, right, to say, to take, especially like with an Alex and Libby, to take them out of that coded mm -hmm. frame and say, no, 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 these women are living exactly the life that you think together, and we they don't were not need, just friends. That's right, we don't need a notarized yeah. statement. I mean, that's this kind of, there's this this very heteronormative way of looking at the past where it's like, if you don't have an aff a signed affidavit that they were lesbian, you know, I rule, right? I rule otherwise. Yeah. And I think obviously there have been legions of queer women throughout time that have seen and written otherwise. So um, to put that really forward in the book was important to me. But, but that first thing you said is not a small thing for me, I think. Like with this book in particular, I just really hope that readers kind of lose themselves to the world. Right. And I think that's that's a good thing, too, that like if if you look up and and like two hours have gone by and you've read 50 pages, I will be really thrilled about that, too, just spending time with these characters. So, yeah, I, I think we all did that. Yeah. <laughs> like good. when I tell you, I feel like I flew through this book and then there would just be parts that like I wanted to like hold on to. Um, good. Like, I good, also good. think I think it's great that when you made that point about, you know, not coding historical figures anymore and pretending they were friends, that, you know, generations from now, someone's going to pick up this book and there's no mistaking that <laughs> any of it is gay, right? right? You can't read this book and be like, oh, no, they're all just like really great friends and maybe they're drinking and you always make out with your friends drunk. Like, no, no, they're they're gay. They're gay. Yeah. They're all yeah. gay. They're, ga they're gay in every way. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. We were just talking about how we, essentially it's, it's a book where you almost have to say if they're not gay, because everyone basically is. Yeah. And that's, what, that's yeah. what we like in our books on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. I, yeah, a few folks have said, like, is that was that really intentional? And I was like, no, I, you know, 
it wasn't because I think like this is not an uncommon experience for queer people in 2020 that we have, you know, like a lot of queer people in our lives. Yeah. It doesn't, it mm -hmm. didn't really feel like, hmm, this character should also be queer. It just was sort of like, well, if I'm thinking about the people that populate my life, a lot of them. Most of them queer, probably are right? some yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're attached to like the making of this film, I mean, obviously in the historic, you know, there were, there were some liberties, there were some liberties taken, but I think the book is effective in that way. This book comes to campus and it's a huge big deal. Like they're not, these students are not distracted by like all the other things we might write the book being on campus and what the book is about in addition to the scary things going yeah. on with the book like that is going to be the news of brook on yeah that's right. it like that's what's happening at that school so yeah exactly not only do we find the queer books but we find each other too yeah however mm -hmm. we have to um so to also tie in cameron post we actually just on our like bookstagram accounts talked about it was banned book week a week ago and most of us talked about Cameron Post because it was banned and from the school board on the summer reading list which I thought was ridiculous and essentially no matter the colorful language was probably because of the gay themes in the book yeah they did a uh, some 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 journalists at the time um, that happened did a freedom of, of information request and and found out that it was everybody assumed that like you just said it absolutely was true the initial complaint that was made to the school board specifically and explicitly mentioned the lesbian content and not the language yeah and i saw the language and i'm like okay yeah. it was later that they were like the language which is such a vague term to be you know Definitely. i mean what does that even mean just and it's not like that language isn't in every book ever exactly. that we've ever yeah. read on a yeah. school reading list but so i was we were wondering if that experience with cameron post in any way kind of drove taking mclean's book which was probably banned in some way. Our own hometown library yeah yeah okay yeah so did that in any way kind of influence you adding that to this book and because really the book wasn't encouraged in the boarding school either and yeah. they tried to take it away. I, I was just yeah. wondering if that influenced No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that makes sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. And I know that it did. I know that it did. Um, I mean, I knew, again, like it's, I feel like novelists do this thing and it sounds very neat where like we create a story of how our books were written and then it's, it's like a great story to tell. But like for me, it's never true. Cause I'm like, I was writing this and then I took yeah. some time and then I was doing this, but I can make a really pretty story. But I'm sure that it did influence it. I knew um about Mary McLean's book for a while and before it was going to be in Plain Bad Heroines I think I think I have the timeline right that I was even teaching it um in a in a coming of age lit class and that was somewhere around the time that um that Cape Henlopen and banning was taking place so there's no way that I didn't link those things and think mm -hmm. about things and be thinking about like um you know the power that we give to a book and particularly this question of like when we call a book bad what do we mean by that, right? Like when, when somebody right. says bad, like maybe we're talking about the quality of the book or the artist, but maybe more often we're talking about something that we find morally suspect about the book that like some, some party says is wrong with the book that it's gonna influence people in some way. Um, and then obviously this book takes this, the, my novel takes it the Gothic step further to say, bad as in like a malevolent force right yeah something attached to the book so you're you're totally on point like i had linked those things for sure yeah um, yeah for i didn't make the connection when i was reading but when i was googling books to to yeah. post about for banned book week i saw that and at first i was like wait what because in my mind it's still a recent book and i equate banned books with like way back in the day oh sure yeah it and was I'm a like, huge surprise to me when it happened yeah it was that's not, crazy yeah. i saw did you you wrote them a letter, right? I feel I like wrote, I read something. I did. I wrote them a letter. Um, I wrote the school board a letter 
But um, my contributions were small. It was really amazing. A number of people got involved um, and, and journalists and just like readers of the book and wrote them letters and, and, and students from the community got involved. That's there amazing. Was, there was a bookstore there that stocked free copies of the book. If you were a student, mm. you came in and you got, I mean, there was, it was a whole kind of community effort. And what was so cool to me about it is the year after that happened, after the school board made that decision. And I want to be really clear, this school board had tried to ban other books. Like, yeah. it was not just about my book. Um, about a year after it happened, um, I, know that, I know that the GSA at that group, at that school, which had been a pretty small GSA, had like 100 members. I actually visited one of their meetings via like Skype. It had blossomed. And it was largely just that like these, these students were obviously already in the school, but this thing gave them a thing to sort of organize around. And it was really, it was really incredible. So the response was like remarkable. That's always what happens when people try to ban and remove and censor books is that, you know, that, that if you find out about it happening, and that's the kind of insidious thing, it just so happens that there was a journalist at that school board meeting who wrote a small article about it and somebody shared that with me on social media. Mm -hmm. That's like really how it started. And so I think what happens more often is these decisions get made and like, nobody's really the wiser. Nobody right, knows you never happened. really know until you're Googling it and you're like, oh, <laughs> that happened. Like, yeah. what yeah. the heck? I'm, yeah. I shouldn't be shocked that it still happens today, but yeah. in some way, shape or form I was, so I don't yeah. know. Often, oh, most often of the books, but of marginalized writers, right? Like that's, that's always yes. the content. Whatever that's the exactly excuse what it was. Given, but that's always the content, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we have quite a few listeners who are aspiring authors, and we know that LGBTQ plus books and authors and publishing are still few and far between. What advice do you have for aspiring queer authors on writing and publishing? Mm. I think, um, I think I, I am given, it is, we are still underrepresented for sure, but I, I am given hope that there's more representation than there's ever been in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, and that does give me hope when I look at like the range of books every year, I'm mm -hmm. sort of, you know, and also the books that are selling remarkably. Right. Like, 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 I think that like that's, you know, especially when we're talking about big house publishing, frankly, it's a business and, and those sales matter. Mm -hmm. And so the more that we buy those books, the more that publishers are gonna seek those books out. That's just how it works. Um, so I would say like, do not like keep that hope there. Um, and I would also say, and this maybe seems like kind of obvious advice, but, but it's true. The no's are part of the business. So if you get turned down and if that's demoralizing, I hope you have like a group of like, you know, readers that you're kind of coming up with, or you can find mm -hmm. them and you, and you, you know, you sort of, um, can get support from them, but just the, the no's are not going to stop coming at any level. Right, you, you, They're going to be part of it. So don't let that be the thing that dissuades you. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I would say is like, don't, you know, I, I, at least like in terms of like the writers that I'm closest friends with and the writers that I go to to read my work now, I picked those up all over the place and a lot of them before I was published. So I think sometimes people get this idea that like, oh, you're published and then like all your friends are these published writers. And that happens, like you're on panels and things. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't discount, I guess, like the people you, that are working on things with you now, like and how right. many those people will be throughout your career. Because the people mm -hmm. I'm still sending stuff to are, are people that I met like, in some cases in Hoff, like in college, right? And, so and shortly cool. before I was published. So I think like all of those things are, are true. And then I'm gonna give you the most advi obvious advice of all, of all time, which is um, just to read everything. Yeah. Um, I, I've taught creative writing. I've, I've, I've done an MFA and a PhD and I learned a lot of the things in those programs and I have good things to say but nothing has taught me more about writing than reading. reading. Nothing. Yeah. 
nothing. And you, you, what happens is you develop instincts as a writer that I think like you cannot develop in any other way. And I see it all the time. I see it all the time from writers like who are incredibly talented, but I can often tell like when someone's read a lot and then they're working on a novel versus like someone who just has talent, right? But maybe yeah. hasn't read as deeply. So I, it's cliche advice for a reason. Um, I, I just don't think there's any better training than to read widely. I think that's good advice. I'm great at the reading part, but I will never be a writer. Oh, do you Thanks. want to be? Do you want to be? Or no, I mean, like, okay. you know, when you're young and you want to be like a singer and a writer, if I had all those talents, yes, absolutely. But I, I will just read all the books. Okay. Well, I'm, we're, I'm very happy to have readers. So yeah. that's, that's what I'm you, just, you send your books on. We will gay scream for you. We <laughs> yeah. are big cheerleaders here. Thank you. Always. So Mostly the point of our podcast is to talk about queer literature and promote it because representation in our books is important and we've we've had to focus on seeking it out. And like you said, now we're lucky that we don't have to look too hard or read books where it's just kind of like this underlying theme. Like it's very explicitly gay, our books now. But what about representation is important to you when you're writing your books and creating your characters? I mean, I think that um, I, I am older than both of you for sure, and and not like the oldest, but I I do still kind of remember, not you know in in my youth and adolescence, not finding a lot of rep and having to do a lot of that queering work, which I enjoyed in some ways, and I can look back fondly at, but. Um, but still really feeling like it was shameful to try to find, I mean, there are, this is a kind of a classic story, but there are the, you know, it's not that my library had a lot of books with LGBTQ content to begin with. Right. The couple that I knew were there, I would not check out from the library. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. It's a pretty common story. And so um, I know that like how crucial sort of like the, um, the pl- proliferation, right? That there's a diversity right. of rep and that we don't just kind of say, well, there was one lesbian book this year and one, you know, one trans book this year. And so we've checked the box and we're done. Right. And yeah. Um, and that, and then obviously when we talk about the community, that's a really fraught term because, you know, we can gather up 45 lesbians and all be very different people. Right. And mm-hmm. that's something that's really important to me too, is, I mean, that's one of my favorite things I think about, about this book is that we were talking about, there's so many different queer women in it and, and they're all queer women and they're different people right remarkably yeah. different people um so that's important to me too and i just want to see queer characters in all different kinds of stories i mean i think that's right. a really common response right like i i wanted a book filled with these gothic queer women so all right. of those things are important to me as a reader you know well and i think so i love why like i love young adult literature sure and we see it i would say we've seen it uh per I've seen it grow so much in the past maybe five years, like the LGBTQ themes. Um, I wish that there were more adult hmm. books. And um, we read, I read Something to Talk About by Mara Wilsner. Mm-hmm. And their book was the first like adult just romance mm. that Berkeley had published for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was such an amazing yeah. thing, but yeah. it was the first one. And you're just like, yo, come on it's now. Funny, funny. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I think there's like this real hunger. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my wife is saying that to me all the time. She's like, will you write like a lesbian rom-com, right? Will you write, like, she'll give me like a list. And I'm like, well, that's yeah. not the next thing I'm working on. But <laughs> there's this like real right that that, that yeah, we're sort of like okay so children's middle grade YA there's all these strides but then what do readers right. read right like when they're sort of age out of that and, and mm-hmm. we're looking for reps so 
Um, um, yeah, well, yeah. send her to Meryl Wilsner. That I will. something I will. to talk about. Okay. Amazing. Good, There's good. some good it's ones good coming out in 2021, too. But yes. was Plain Bad Heroine supposed to be YA originally? Because it is an adult book, right? It is a, an adult okay. book. Yeah. When it was, um, I, it, I mean, I don't know, it's supposed to be when I was writing the version that was just the contemporary storyline and the characters were younger and the circumstances were different. I thought it was going to be another YA book. Um, but but I got out of that deal and did a different deal. So yeah, yeah. Well, I like how it ended up. So I would have liked it regardless though. <laughs> but okay. So lastly, because we love queer books more than anything, what are some of your favorite queer books from your life? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, well, if we're talking just sort of like 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 queens of gothic and, and, and sapphic horror, I've got to mention, which I'm sure you've read, but if you haven't read Her Body and Other Parties, the Carmen Maria Machado book. I, did. I just read unbelievable so good um one of my favorite favorite lesbian writers of all time is sarah waters i've read everything she's ever written but yep. i can heartily heartily recommend fingersmith if you just like need a book to start with um it's always my go-to it's one of those books that i am envious of people if they haven't read it yet um i'm just you know like the, there's some real twist dickensian kinds of twists in there that i love that people haven't experienced um Gosh, I've been reading like I've been just sort of like focused just on like on like um, lesbian horror, so I haven't. <laughs> They're all in your head. Have um, you yeah, read so Carmen uh, Maria Machado's *In the Dream House*? Yes, absolutely. Yes, that was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's also I started really with that and worked my way back in her. Okay, you hadn't read *Her Body and Other Parties*. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love just the different kinds of play with um, narrative that both of those books do, but particularly. Um, sort of the feminist and queer spins on stories and yeah. her body and other parties. And it's so, like the language is so lush. So um, yeah, so that's like sort of in that vein, like those books have been really influential to me. Um, Melinda Lowe has a book coming out next year that's going to be remarkable. We read it. Yeah, yes. So you know, she's yeah. got a historical book that I think is so good. And, and I love Melinda, but it's one of my favorite things I think she's ever written. So I'm so excited. It was that. fantastic. Last night at the Telegraph Club. I think. Yeah. Is that right? The last night at the Telegraph. Yep. The last night at the Telegraph Club, I believe is the name of it. Yeah. And it's so it's so good. So that's something I'm looking forward to that I think other folks will be too yeah i'm excited yeah. for the world to get that when we got the email that we got in advanced reader copy i yelled a little yay good <laughs> good that's amazing those are fun fun emails to get yeah i feel like <laughs> trying to say something fun home yeah. i gotta say fun home sorry like i've got to throw one more oh out yeah i actually read favorites. that this summer you're saying your favorites yeah and so i'm thinking of books like earlier right like not just recent yeah. books but fun home was hugely influential to me 15 years ago and before that just um dykes to watch out for that comic strip so yeah that was amazing i put that together once i realized who she actually was because i know about like the bechdel test and all that stuff mm -hmm. and then i put it together i was reading that book just a couple months ago and i'm like oh my god this is the same person like yeah yeah my mind yeah. exploded <laughs> yeah yeah Okay. All right, Emily. Now you got to give us your podcast recs. What are you listening to? Oh my God. Well, I'm, I don't know. So if you like horror in specific, I love I a friend turned me on to this. So you probably know about it, but Gaylords of Darkness. Do you know Gaylords no. of Darkness? <laughs> it is amazing. Um, so Stacey Ponder for a long time has had a blog called Final Girl and is, is you know, sort of been talking um, about lesbian horror and queer horror forever, but she does Gay Lords of Darkness with Anthony Hudson. I think it's like, there's maybe like, I don't even know that there's seasons. It's been on for a while. So it's got a deep catalog, which I love when somebody recommends a podcast. Mm -hmm. I can like, I'm like, how many episodes can I dig into? Yeah. There's a ton and they're so funny. 
they're so, so funny and they're so smart. And I feel like even if you don't, lots of times I will, like, they'll talk about a movie and I'll have to go see it. But, mm-hmm. but part of those podcasts that like you can just enjoy them and their discussion even if you don't end up seeing the movie. So I cannot recommend Gaylords of Dark. Oh, that's amazing. I'm really, gonna listen to it tonight. I think you'll like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just like scroll through and even the titles of the episodes are funny. It's so great. It's so great. Oh, so, yeah. Um Alex is our whore. Like she loves horror. Okay. And I'm a baby. Like <laughs> it. And she will fall asleep to them. And I'm like, I love what? it. I love all things scary. <laughs> I love that. I'm excited um, about it all. Do you have a favorite horror podcast? Do you listen to horror podcasts? No, I okay. only recently became a big podcaster when we started this one. And then I'm like, oh, now I have to listen to others. Sure, sure. So sure. I don't listen to a ton. So I'm excited about that one. But I I like to. I just yeah, am bad yeah. at finding them. There's so many, right? That it really yes. helps to have somebody tell you. Because if you're yeah. just kind of looking, you're like, I don't know where to start. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I get lost. I think you're going on one of my favorites soon. Um, yeah. You're going on Diking Out. Diking right? Out. Yeah. Yes. So oh, Sam's going to freak out. It's really good, right? Yeah. It's really fun for sure. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Yeah. yeah we'll um, they mentioned to you, they were like mentioning they were reading your book. And I was like, <gasps> and I like texted Alex. I was like, Alex, Alex, Alex. And she was like, chill out, girl. <laughs> chill. Yeah. I think in I think in like a week or so. Yeah, I'm excited about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 We're gonna um, talk more about, about sapphic horror. So yeah. Ooh, yes. good. Well, That's amazing. I'll That's be awesome. listening to that episode too. Good. Um, you know, I think the only horror that I can tell you that I like is the haunting on Hill House. Oh sure. Yeah. Well, the news the, the, about the this series or the or the book. Have you read the book, the Shirley Jackson book? I have. Okay. I haven't, but we, I teach seventh grade and we just read, um, the lottery. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. I was, I felt very ignorant because as I'm reading it in the middle of it, in like my fourth period class, I'm like, oh my gosh, Shirley Jackson. <gasps> oh my gosh, Shirley Jackson. And they're like, Miss Lane, like what's going on? And I was like, y'all. Y'all, I was like, y'all, and they're like, Miss Lane, like, what? Like, why are you making that face? And I was like, nothing, nothing. And I ended up texting like my best friend. I was like, Shirley Jackson wrote the lottery. <laughs> she was like, yeah, yeah, babe. Glad yeah. you connected that. Yeah, she did. Yep. Yeah. So you know, it took me a little while. Took a little trip there. You yeah. know, you made yeah. it. Well, but- if you, I mean, I know that you don't, you don't like to be scared, but I, I mean, I, it's such a fantastic book. And we have always lived in the castle is as well. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I read that in college. Okay. Um, okay. So, mm-hmm. so you know, See, you can do yeah. it. You're fine. You can do I it. I think I will do it. I will. Yes. <laughs> um. Well. We have really enjoyed you so much. Thank it's you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you so we much for having me. So grateful. And just a reminder to our listeners that Emily's book is out now wherever you buy your books. So if you haven't bought it already, which I know a lot of you have, because I know some of you that listen to this, um, <laughs> please go buy it if you have it. And Emily, can you remind all of our listeners where they can find you on social media? They can really only find me on instagram at em, em danforth yeah that's where that's i am perfect. and not i'm not there very much but but i am there you that's all right 90 percent of our <laughs> listeners are on like instagram books okay great so okay that's oh, our fan base. question are you familiar with bookstagram 
Like we have said that a million times. Yeah, no, I no, no, no. Yes, I am familiar. Like I it's am Instagram for both. I'm, yes, no, I am definitely familiar. I also like live a lot of times like a ninety-five-year-old, and so That's sometimes fine. no. But I do. I am familiar with books. You probably get okay. tagged in I've everyone's seen, book. I've seen the gorgeous posts. Yes. Yeah. Like like where I'm like. That's where? even was the book like like where did this photo shoot take place yeah i've seen them so i i am i'm i'm not well versed but i am familiar that's well that's where our listeners are from and so awesome. we'll probably get a lot of tags from okay it. well yes. hello bookstagram <laughs> thank you right. so much thank, thank you so you. much thank you for having me it was thank fun you. goodbye here's queers here's queers